Welcome to Yesterday Meets Today, Themes Throughout History. I'm Spencer Vollmer, your host and guide as we explore the themes connecting the histories of the distant and not-so-distant past with each other and also with our own more recent history. Together, we'll boldly venture out in pursuit of knowledge, always striving to learn new things about the past, the present, and maybe even a little bit about ourselves along the way. Glad to have you back as we continue to explore our Halloween-ish theme. Last week, we talked about several ancient festivals, as well as one with ancient roots that is still around today. Today, we're moving on to something that is more familiar, Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. Though the word day is singular, it's actually a three-day event starting on October 31st, and its origins have been traced back to the Aztecs. It's most notably celebrated in Mexico, but as people have immigrated to other parts of the world, so has the holiday, including right here in the United States, as you probably already know. Chances are you've seen Day of the Dead-related decorations, even if you don't know someone who celebrates it. I have some decorations myself. Around the time Halloween decorations come out, some places get Day of the Dead items in stock as well. I've personally noticed it more often at craft stores and sometimes at grocery stores. There's still skeletons and skulls, but the style is different. Sugar skulls, for example. Rather than try to explain the differences in the way these look, I've uploaded some examples to the social media pages. Now let's take a look at the history. Before anything else, I want to point out something important regarding the date. We associate the Day of the Dead as occurring alongside Halloween, starting on October 31st and continuing through November 2nd. However, this is not how it originated. Prior to Spanish colonization, the holiday that evolved into Day of the Dead occurred in the summer. So we'll be starting there, and I'll note the shift in dates when we get to it. So we're visiting the Aztecs again, complete with a goddess whose name I am going to do my very best to pronounce, but may very well make a mess of. Fortunately, I don't think I'll have to pronounce it as many times as, say, Huitzilopochtli. Her name is Mictikakihuatl. Oh, and I guess I should mention her husband, too, Miklantikudl. In Aztec beliefs, Miktikakihuatl was believed to have been born human, sacrificed as an infant, and subsequently reborn. After this rebirth, she became Miklantikudl's wife. Together, they ruled over the souls of the dead in the underworld. Three types of souls dwelled there and were grouped based on how they died. Heroic deaths, non-heroic deaths, and normal deaths. Interestingly, there is one version of their myth that relates to the existence of different races in the world. They were said to collect the bones of the dead for other gods, namely the gods of creation, to take for the purpose of restoring them to the land of the living. The creation of different races was a result of bones being dropped and mixed before being used in the land of the living. I find that rather intriguing, the idea that different races were created when the bones of the dead were mixed up before being formed into new life. You know, it calls Adam and Eve to my mind with the taking of Adam's rib to create Eve. Obviously, that's on a smaller scale than this Aztec belief, with only one person being created from a bone. Still, it's interesting that the use of bones to create a new person is found in some form in both religions despite how very different they are, and how the two cultures, their beliefs already firmly held, would eventually collide. Anyway, back to Mictikakawatl. <laughs> she was believed to preside over the festivals honoring the dead in Aztec society. 
For the Aztecs, as well as other Nahua peoples who lived at the same time or before, death was viewed as an integral part of life. It was believed that, following their death, a person would arrive in the land of the dead, Chikunamiklan. This land of the dead was where Mictacacahuatl and her husband ruled, but it was not the final resting place for the deceased. That place was known as Mictlan, and not everyone got to travel straight to it after death. Warriors who died in battle and women who died during childbirth would have been granted that direct journey. Recall last month when I mentioned warriors and women who had children were held very highly in Aztec society. This direct journey to Miklon was a direct result of that importance. When a person not of one of those elevated positions died, they actually had to journey through Chikuna Miklon to arrive in Miklon. Think those who died of illness or old age. This took place across nine levels filled with dangerous challenges. While I found multiple references to the danger, I found none regarding what happened if these challenges were failed. The journey took place over a set four-year time period, so if it was possible to fail these challenges, I would imagine there was some sort of consequence. Moving on from my speculation. Whatever the case may have been regarding potential failure of these challenges, Family members of the deceased were aware of the difficult journey the person was on. This is where the rituals honoring the dead are found. As I mentioned, the Aztecs practiced these rituals in what we know as August, and they did so across the entire month. To aid the deceased in their journey through Chikunamiklan, the families brought food, water, and tools. They believed these offerings in some way reached through to the land of the dead, going directly to the person making the journey. So for each deceased person, these offerings were made four times before their journey was complete. Another example of dedication to the deceased. Not entirely unlike the filial piety we saw in China or the rituals explored in the ancient festivals. Shrines were also involved in these festivals. Many homes across the Mesoamerican region had altars in their houses or on their patios. They served multiple purposes for the individuals and families in the home. The most obvious use was to worship the gods. Like other pagan societies, this worship wouldn't have been a uniform practice in terms of which gods and how many were worshipped. Another purpose for the altars was household rituals. While I'm not entirely sure the extent of these rituals, they included those that were related to honoring the dead, which connects to another purpose the altars served, which was communication with ancestors. We'll see later on that these altars continue on today, if in a different form. Let's talk about flowers now, marigolds specifically. They are an iconic part of Day of the Dead celebrations, a tradition also originating with the Aztecs. Did you know marigolds are native to the southwestern United States and all the way through to northern South America? Even the ones called French or African originated from seeds the Spanish took from the Aztecs. For the Aztecs, these flowers were sacred. As a result, they aimed to breed larger blooms. These plants could, and still can, reach over three feet tall. They were used decoratively as well as medicinally, and, of course, in celebrations like the festivals honoring the dead. The reason goes again to Aztec mythology. In this case, two lovers named Xochtli and Huitzlin. The legend says these two would hike to the top of a mountain. Each time they did, they left offerings of flowers for the sun god. Then... At the same spot, they would swear their love to each other. One day, Huitzlin was killed in battle. Shokli prayed to the sun god to reunite her with Huitzlin. 
The sun god had, of course, seen and received the offerings from the lovers many times. He decided to grant her wish in, well, an interesting way. He sent a ray of sun that turned her into a golden flower. Then he reincarnated Huitzlin as a hummingbird. Remember from last month that warriors were thought to be reincarnated as hummingbirds. Now when he approached her flower, her petals would bloom and fill the air with the scent of marigolds. Reunited as a flower and a hummingbird. Not my first choice, but that's what they believed. Anyway, that's why the marigold came to be viewed as sacred. Given that story, you can see why the Aztecs would integrate the marigold so fully into the rituals. Not only was it created by the sun god, but also as an act of rebirth and reunion. Very symbolic for a society that views death as an integral part of the duality that is life. Additionally, the scent of the marigold was thought to awaken the dead, giving it even greater significance. And its importance only continued to grow as the Day of the Dead holiday we know came into being. So that gives us the origin of the holiday, an Aztec festival honoring the dead and spanning the entire month of August. To start moving to the holiday we know, we have to bring the Spanish to Mexico. The Spanish did have their own history of rituals honoring the dead, though their views on death were darker than those of the Aztecs. Given their experience with the bubonic plague, you can hardly blame them. With the rise of the Roman Catholic Church, many pagan festivals were unofficially adopted and adapted or outright eliminated. Celebrations of the dead were among those unofficially adopted. They were made a part of two minor celebrations called All Saints Day and All Souls Day, celebrated on November 1st and November 2nd. So there's our November dates, we just have to get them across the Atlantic. In medieval Spain, offerings were taken to graves on All Souls Day. Loved ones of the deceased brought a kind of bread called spirit bread. Additionally, they covered the graves with flowers and lit candles. These candles served to guide souls back to their homes on earth. So, for the Spanish of the time, they were honoring the dead as well as inviting them back to visit on that day. Fitting for a day called All Souls Day. An important part of the distinction between the Aztecs and Spain is how death itself was viewed. The Aztecs viewed it in such a way that death fed life, demonstrated in one way through the use of sacrifices that spilled blood to keep the sun and earth strong and allowed them to continue to provide the necessities for life. In other words, they embraced death itself. It was a part of life, not separate. The Spanish, on the other hand, had a different view of death, which makes sense once you see what came just before their travels to the New World. Here you find depictions of the Grim Reaper as he is often shown, just like he is today, a skeleton wearing a black cloak and wielding a scythe representing the harvesting of human lives. The travels to the New World came after the bubonic plague had ravaged Europe. The plague is estimated to have dropped the population from 6 million to 2.5 million between 1348 and 1354, just six years. That's 138 years before the 1492 voyage of Columbus. So death was ever-present with illustrations of the Grim Reaper to go with it. Though to my surprise, it seems the Reaper was meant to be a kind of humor, not, well, grim. That's a quick rundown of how the Aztecs, with their strongly held beliefs regarding death, differed from that of Europeans at the time. Of course, the Spanish held their beliefs just as firmly. 
Naturally, this means that the conquistadors brought such traditions with them to the New World. So along with their beliefs regarding death, the Spanish brought Catholicism to the New World with them. Naturally, Catholicism clashed with Aztec beliefs. Things like ritual sacrifices and pagan worship couldn't be allowed to continue. For the Spanish, converting the native peoples they encountered was an important part of their presence in the New World, so they set out to put an end to these pagan beliefs. As expected, the people resisted this forced change. They didn't want to let the Spanish destroy their beliefs. And why would they? Imagine if some foreign group showed up and sought to destroy the culture you'd always known. Burned your temples, destroyed writing and icons. Depending on your faith, this could be like destroying Bibles and crosses and burning churches. No doubt you would resist too. And this comes along with other assaults from the Spanish. Smallpox was introduced to the population, a disease the Spanish had built up a resistance to, but the native peoples were completely vulnerable. It ravaged the population, leaving them in a weakened state. At the same time, Tenochtitlan was under assault by Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés. In his preparations, he had gained the alliance of Tlaxcala, with whom the Aztecs already had strained ties, and Texcoco, one of the three city-states the Mexica had formed an alliance with to help create the Aztec Empire. On August 13, 1521, Cortes and his allies from Tlaxcala successfully sacked Tenochtitlan. Monuments were, of course, destroyed. Much to the shock of the Spanish, the Tlaxcala were merciless. They slaughtered men, women, and children without hesitation. This became the capital of the new Spain colony, and Cortes was its first governor. So ended the powerful Aztec Empire, and with it the strongest resistance to the attack on culture in Mexico. Which brings us back to the Spanish converting the native population. The Spanish held a clear advantage. Between weapons, advanced technology such as their ships, and smallpox, the people of Mexico had to figure out a way to keep their culture alive. They couldn't win outright, so they took a different route. Instead of fighting outright, they took an adaptive approach. They took the religious practices of the Spanish and blended them with their own. So things like human sacrifice came to an end. But when it came to Mictacacahuatl and their month-long festival, the native people weren't so willing to sacrifice. So instead, they found compromise. The festivals were shortened to All Hallowtide, the three-day observance of All Saints' Eve, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day. This created a connection to Catholicism in Spain and otherwise left the practices and rituals pretty much untouched, a degree of compromise you probably wouldn't expect. I suppose for the Spanish, this was seen as a good thing since it eased the religious conversion. Whatever the case, this blending brings us to the more modern Day of the Dead celebration. Now we'll cover what the Day of the Dead is today. There's still a few more points to make about the Aztecs as well, and I'll mention those as we get to them. The best place to start here is the three-day structure. While Day of the Dead is the name commonly used for the entire three-day period, it's actually only one day. The other two days each have their own purpose. October 31st, from what I gather, is more of a preparation day. For example, children will build altars to invite angelitos, spirits of dead children, to come back the following day. You'll see as we go why a day would be dedicated to preparation. The Day of the Dead is truly a grand celebration across November 1st and 2nd. November 1st has two names commonly associated with it. 
One is Dia de los Angelitos, or Day of the Little Angels. The other name is Dia de los Inocentes, or Day of the Innocents. Whichever name you use, it refers to the same purpose. It is reserved specifically for infants and children who have passed away. November 2nd is the day reserved for adults. It is also the Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. While the entire three-day period is covered by this name, November 2nd is the official day. Remember that there was a compromise made between the native people and the Spanish. The festival was shortened and aligned with Catholic holidays. October 31st, the day of preparation, is on the day called All Saints Eve. November 1st, the day of innocence or children, is on the day called All Saints Day. November 2nd, the Day of the Dead, is on All Souls Day. So you see where the alignment happened when the Spanish and native people compromised. They changed the day and the length, but kept the celebration. Now, it seems fairly simple to figure out why Day of the Dead came to be the name for all three days involved. Both days operate on the same idea, the return of the dead to join the living for 24 hours. On November 1st, the gates of heaven opened and allowed the spirits of children and infants to return. Only they returned on this day. Adults waited until November 2nd, when the same would happen for them. Another version of this is that the border between the worlds of the dead and the living dissolved, allowing them to cross over, again, on separate days. So if you only get 24 hours, why make it anything other than a celebration? I didn't mention this before. In Mesoamerica, during the Aztec Empire and very likely before, grief was considered disrespectful to the dead. Grieving was simply something that wasn't done. You think of today, where even when a funeral is called a celebration of life, it's still a funeral. People are still mourning. Even when stories are told about the deceased that bring about a laugh, people are still shedding tears of grief. The Aztecs and others in Mesoamerica would have a real problem with that which is how the early precursors to the Day of the Dead celebrations came into being. And that's where today's celebrations come from. It's one of those things you can directly trace back to that time. Turning our attention now to Mictecacahuatl, she isn't gone. You may not hear her name, but in a way she is still around. She's now part of a newer entity known as La Calavera Katrina. Chances are you've seen depictions of her in some form. Her origins are found in 1910 to 1913. She was designed by a Mexican illustrator named Jose Guadalupe Posada. He was controversial and political, well-liked by the people. He drew skeletons in satirical forms with the purpose of reminding people that we all end up dead no matter what we do. It was, to him, the great equalizer. He didn't use her as part of the Day of the Dead at the time, Rather, she was designed as a satirical depiction intended to remind Mexicans not to be something they're not. In the time he lived, some in Mexico were trying to make themselves look like aristocratic Europeans. To this end, Posada designed La Catrina as a skeleton wearing a fancy feathered hat. Posada's message to them was that no matter what they looked like and no matter what they wore, they would end up skeletons all the same. Posada had a saying which isn't directly related to La Catrina or the Day of the Dead, but worth mentioning all the same. Death is democratic. Now we move ahead to 1946 and 1947. This is where La Calavera Catrina gained popularity as well as her name. 
I should have mentioned earlier that Posada did not give her that name. It was the artist Diego Rivera and his mural, Sueño de una Tarde Dominical en la Alameda Central. In English, Dream of a Sunday Afternoon along Central Alameda. I'll post an image of the mural for you to see. The mural was originally commissioned for a hotel, but after the 1985 Mexico City earthquake, it was relocated to its own museum. The mural depicts 400 years of Mexican history, with various people taking a stroll through Alameda Central Park. Notably, with this mural, Rivera aimed to remedy the fact that history is written by the victors, creating an incomplete narrative. As part of the mural, he depicted both the native peoples as well as the masses, maintaining the struggles and glory of Mexicans in all parts of society. Prominently depicted near the center is La Calavera Katrina, the dapper skeleton. Aptly named as she strolls along with her feathered hat, a nice white and black dress, makeup on her skull, and a feathered serpent boa around her neck. The boa called to mind two things for me. First, one of the Aztec's top deities was Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent. The other is Mictacacahuatl, who was commonly depicted wearing a skirt made from serpents. Images that evoke Aztec beliefs and the Lady of the Dead image Mictacacahuatl once filled. Moving now to the modern holiday. I said you'd likely seen La Calavera Katrina around even if you didn't know her name. As a symbol of the Day of the Dead, she's one of the most prevalent. She's not always wearing the same dress or the same hat. Sometimes she has different headwear, like a crown of flowers. I've seen images where she's not wearing anything on her head at all. Most commonly, though, she's depicted in a dress with some sort of large fancy hat. And typically, she's got makeup on her skull in what is called the Sugar Skull style. I have a few versions of her myself, and I'll try to upload pictures of the different styles. She's not only depicted in artistic mediums, she also has a popular costume among Day of the Dead celebrations. It's most commonly women, with men having their own version. Women dress up in all types of dresses, from the simple to the flashy. They wear a head covering of some sort, again from simple to flashy, and they'll apply makeup in the same Sugar Skull style, all as a part of these celebrations. Alright, so now you know who our modern Lady of the Dead is. From Mictacacahuatl to La Calavera Katrina. Let's talk about decorations, altars, and ofrendas, or offerings, next. As I mentioned earlier, most Mesoamerican homes had religious altars either in their homes or on their patios. Altars are still important and central to Day of the Dead celebrations. As before, they are located in private residences. Additionally, they are found in locations such as cemeteries and churches. During Day of the Dead festivities, offerings are placed on these altars. Keeping with the idea that this is a celebration, the offerings are often vibrant with playful motifs. Used as both offering and decoration, marigolds are ever-present. As important today as they were hundreds of years ago, the marigolds are the traditional flower for honoring the dead. They are thought to attract the souls of the dead to the offerings using their scent. Additionally, like other offerings and decorations, they are brightly colored. They can be found adorning altars, often in great number. They're also found in decorations of all sorts. Sometimes they are made part of costumes worn by people or as a part of La Catrina decorations. Other offerings found alongside marigolds vary depending on which day is being celebrated. For children, toys are a common offering. 
For adults, tequila or other kinds of alcohol may be offered. Another offering, regardless of the day, is sugar skulls. These are skulls or whole skeletons designed with a distinctive paint similar to what La Catrina wears. The paint is colorful and comes in a variety of styles. Some are more elaborate, others are simpler. There's no set rule for these skulls, only a common style connecting them in the Day of the Dead traditions. Again, I will post examples on social media so you can see what they look like. Food is given as an offering as well. These food offerings are usually made up of food that the deceased enjoyed while they were still alive. Naturally, since the offering is for them, you'd want to offer food that they would want. You'll often find marigolds placed on these offerings as well. Most include some kind of spirited drink and pan de muerto, translated to bread of the dead. This is a type of sweet roll with bone decorations that appear to be made from dough and placed on the roll to be baked. It's then topped with sugar and left out for the deceased alongside the other foods. As for what happens to the food, it is eventually eaten by the living. It is believed that the spirits absorb the essence of the food and the celebrants eat the food itself after the festivities are done. Also found at altars are photographs of the deceased. They identify who the offering is being dedicated to. Typically, this is a family member, but there are others altars can be dedicated to. They can be dedicated to friends or even to pets. I can 100% understand that, and I would probably have altars to my pets if I participated in a Day of the Dead celebration. Also found at altars are candles, just like they were found back when we were talking about Spain. They serve two purposes here. First, they are used to memorialize the dead. Second, they are thought to help the dead find their way to the altar, again, like they were in Spain. Sometimes people will bring pillows and blankets to graves for the deceased to rest on after their journey to the altar. The people themselves may also stay out at the graves all night. A few other offerings include personal items that belong to the deceased. Trinkets, clothing, statuettes, and other items. Paper mache skulls may also be part of an offering. And there you have it, the Day of the Dead celebrations with roots in Aztec and other Mesoamerican cultures. There's deep, rich traditions in the celebrations. Often confused with Halloween, the Day of the Dead is a totally separate holiday. If anything, some parts of Day of the Dead celebrations have become part of some Halloween traditions. Ah, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Next week, we'll talk about Sawain. Until then, take care. Take care.